up. Here we go. Listening to the edge. Everything fast fishing. Coming to you worldwide from Megaware Kill Guard Studios. What's up? That's right, y'all. I'm right here in Megaware Kill Guard Studios. Welcome. This is the first Bass Edge audio and video right here on YouTube. That's right on the uh, Bass Edge uh, YouTube channel, man. Thank you all for coming and uh, hanging out with us. That's right. Bass Edge, first time ever on audio after... Gosh, Bass Edge has been around since 2007. Aaron Martin kicked this thing off. And, and I've been co-hosting with Aaron since uh, 2012. Now we've lit up the YouTube. Still available on all those audio pro- podcast media streams. The um, you know Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, anywhere you like to download your favorite audio podcasts. Obviously, we are still available there. But uh, now adding the video, which I'm super excited for. We're going to be able to go over more things, more education, show you some stuff here that uh, we've only been able to really talk about in the past, but now you have the opportunity to check it out on YouTube through the video. Obviously, a continued big, big shout out to uh, our continued sponsor, Megaware Keelguard, providing boat accessories to bass anglers all around the world. Uh, obviously, the first DIY uh, Keelguard also have the Flex Step, the Battery Guard, the Scuff Buster. I mean, you can check out all their products, obviously, at keelguard.com. See what boat accessories you need for your boat. Man, let me tell you, there has been an abundance of recent happenings out there on the trail. Of course, the uh, Bass Masters Classic just concluded out there in Knoxville. Um, Jeff Gussie Gustafson took the W. Um, man, did it with uh, 12 bass. 12 bass had a tough third day, but man, it was exciting to watch and uh, kind of watch that whole event go down. Um, a really cool technique he employed there, moping. Right, just bobbing around in the boat, watching that forward-facing sonar and and his down scan as well to see if uh, you know he could pick off those fish cruising around on the rocky bottoms there with the smallmouth. Man, there's been a lot said about that technique and the way that he won the event there. Um, the same pattern he used to win the event in 2001, or excuse me, 2021, just a couple years ago uh, on the same fishery. Um, you know, an interesting stat in the elite win uh, there, he had 15 bass and in three days he had 48-13. And in the Bassmaster Classic last week, he had 12 bass for 42 pounds, 7 ounces in three days to win the Classic. He didn't win the Elite Series with 48-13. Those were four days events. But uh, he did have 48-13 over three days, which, you know, there was a lot of talk about the uh, difficulty of the Classic. Man, I think that's kind of a typical fishery that they had there on Loudon Teleco. You know, you don't have a lot of grass. So, uh, you know, not, not to say there's not some fisheries without an abundance population, you know, that don't have grass throughout the U.S. But, but generally speaking, um, there's just not as many fish in a non-grass fishery as there is in a grass fishery. And, and also it's a river system. There's not a whole lot of big, huge creeks and, and uh, you know, large spawning bays for fish to really have a lot of the ecosystem to, to really thrive. 
Um, they do thrive there. Obviously, you can catch 20-pound bags, 22, even 23, 24-pound bags there. But um, it's not a place that really puts them out uh, in high levels. We saw that in the 2021 Elite Series event. You know, an interesting thing there. People were talking about how difficult the fishing was. But uh, it wasn't actually down a whole lot in comparison to the Elite event there in 2020. Or excuse me, 2021. Uh, that elite event there in 20th place, if you kind of look at the 20th place finishes, uh, Caleb Summerall had 29.6 over three days in that 2021 Elite Series event. And in, in the in the Classic last week, Brock Mosley had 24.10. So um, down a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, obviously, they had uh, some, some weather that they were dealing with in practice. It's even though it's overall, I think, in the entire United States, we've had a warm winter uh, for the most part on average. Um, it just hasn't warmed up real fast uh, over this spring. I think you saw early in those southeast events that uh, there was some warming going on. Even I think I remember some post-spawn fish at the Elite Series event in Seminole. But, um, you know, just, just overall, things are progressing slowly, it seems like, this spring, even though they didn't have that far to go coming out of the winter. But uh, anyway, man, the classic was great. I heard the show was very well attended, and uh, I didn't get a chance to go. I'd been for the last several years, um, but I didn't get a chance to, to head out there this year. But, of course, they broke the attendance record, so that's great for the industry, great to hear about bass fishing as well. Um, but I got to mention, before the classic kickoff, man, the MLF Bass Pro Tour held stage two, interestingly enough, just down the road at the uh, Douglas Cherokee uh, venue. So you had Lake Douglas, which is kind of on the south side of 40, and then you have Lake Cherokee on the north side of 40. And uh, they fished Douglas the first two days of competition, Cherokee the second two days of competition. And uh, man, that was a fun event to watch. Again, the fishing was tough there, so it could have been just general sense of the region during, you know, this time frame that the fishing is just, you know, a little off. But, uh, man, shout out to Keith Poche for uh, taking the big W at that event. Doing it his way with the small boat fishing, um, getting into, uh, you know, small little backwater areas at Douglas and up the rivers, obviously, at Lake Cherokee. And, uh, man, it was, it was just fun to watch him put his thing into work, you know. So this is his second big win out of a small boat. He had one last year at a Bassmaster Open on the Red River. And then he's got one now at the uh, highest you know, level you can fish on the MLF side at the Bass Pro Tour. So, uh, man, that was, that was super cool. I think um, one, of the, uh, one of the things I really like about that is it shows young anglers or, or you know, other anglers that they can come in and not really um, do the the whole, uh, you know, eighty hundred thousand dollar boat. You know, they can get involved for for a lot less money. You know, and and still be very competitive. Uh, you know, you might have to take it to a different level or style of fishing, similar to what Keith has done. Keith went back to kind of his grassroots, and and really that's where he's had that success. I remember. Me personally, fishing with Keith in the MLF Select events, and, and these were events that were television produced, but you couldn't go out there and pre-practice. You know, there was no practice for the events. We, uh, we would launch on lakes, and we didn't know where we were. And in during that time frame, I saw Keith really pushing the envelope as far as trying to get into rivers and backwater areas because the fish were just... You know, once you got there, 
there wasn't a ton to figure out pattern wise. You know, it was just shallow water, you know, visible cover style of fishing. And, and it helped in in a format where you couldn't go out really and look for deep fish. Um, at that time, we didn't even have, you know, forward facing sonar. So you weren't using your sonar, to, you know, forward facing sonar and stuff. So I, I saw that progression. Finally, last thing I want to say about that particular event was, uh, man, it was cool to see Ott Defoe congratulate Keith. Ott also a, a river backwater guy said that he loves that area where Keith won the tournament. Of course, Ott's from that area. So he knows Douglas and Cherokee really, really well. And uh, it was just, it was cool to see that camaraderie, the respect uh, amongst anglers. You don't see that all the time, uh, but it was, it was fun to see it in, in that context. So, um, man, it was kind of the, uh, the feel good part of, of everything that was going on with the MLF Bass Pro Tour up there at Cherokee and Douglas. So, um, y'all, y'all stay tuned. Uh, we're going to come back with the showcase segment here in just a moment with my good buddy, Brian Schmidt. Y'all hang tight. Bass Edge Radio is going to come right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so choose the protection the pros pick. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. The MegaWare Keel Guard is made tough and made to stick. Install it yourself in less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Insist on the original keel guard the pros have picked for 25 years. MegaWare Keel Guard. All right, here we are back after our first break. And uh, man, welcome to the showcase segment. Um, obviously, happy to have with us today. My good friend, longtime friend, BASS Elite Series angler, Brian Schmidt. There he is. What's up, Brian? How you doing, buddy? What's up, guys? Super, super pumped to be part of the show. You know, just getting back to reality. You know, just getting back to real life, man. It was it was a roller coaster, uh, classic for me emotionally and everything like that. And um, you know, still kind of collecting myself. Big decompression after an event like that, right? Huge, huge, buddy. It's it's go go go. Four a.m. to ten p.m. You're on you're on edge the entire time. Uh, the day after, you still kind of got that like adrenaline, but now it's it's changed up. I, I'm I'm definitely in the decompression state. Awesome. Well, hopefully you get through that because I know how that can go sometimes, and it's uh, it's it's rough to get through. But but once you do, you come out on the other end really really excited about the next event and the next things going on in, in life in general. But uh, man, I tell you what, I'm I'm excited. We we started the showcase segment. This is our first video showcase segment. So uh, man, I I picked a topic that that I felt like you could give a lot of the uh, listeners and, and, and watchers here on, on the uh, audio portion of Bass Edge, you know, some insight on, on drop shots. We're going to talk about drop shot hooks. Of course, you know, I work with Hayabusa. You're, you're sponsored, you know, obviously by Hayabusa as well, and, and you've got some great things. But, man, I think it's underrated, um, the different styles and ways and types of hooks 
that that uh, you can use for drop shot fishing. And we're going to get into this a little bit. I know that you've been through some transitions with the style of hooks that you like to use utilizing this technique. But um, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of start this whole thing off real quick, Brian. Okay. Um, first, real simple. You got the you got the nose hook drop shot, right? Yep. You got the uh, drop shot with the nose hook right there. Uh, probably one of the most common ways to fish smallies, wouldn't you say? One hundred percent, yes, sir. Um, you know, there, there's uh, I, th- I want to show another way. You know, people talk about nose hooking, and and obviously that you've got an, an exposed. Get that there so people can see it. I'm going to use this arm. There we go. So uh, you got that exposed. But one thing I've seen some folks do, Brian, do you ever use it this way where where you kind of keep the hook point into the plastic there at the top so that even though it's kind of more of that exposed drop shot, but at the same time you can keep the hook inside the bait rather than having it outside of the bait like a traditional nose hook as as we talked about earlier have you ever used it like that no i haven't i've i've threaded threaded the bait on the hook a good amount but I okay was hooking but i've never done what you just mentioned there I, I saw i've seen that um up on st Clair specifically you get a lot of grass you know a lot of grass and sometimes you need that weedless weedless deal but um, it's kind of an interesting, you know, way to go about it. But but the but the nose hook, I think everybody kind of knows about the nose hook and, and uh, the way that's kind of set up. You uh, you originally, Brian, you like this style of hook. The uh, that's the Hayabusa WRM nine sixty one. Really, uh, almost kind of like a, a a wacky hook. Tell me why you started using this hook and what you liked about it. I. I'm kind of different when it comes to smallmouth. A lot of guys like real, real small hooks. Um, you know, as far as you know, I, I like a one o, a one o. Okay. And the nine sixty one is super, super light wire. That's a big thing with me. Smallmouth fishing is the lightness of the wire. I want an easy penetration. Ibuza hooks are super sharp, but when you get up and gauge of a wire you have to penetrate you know it's even harder to penetrate a fish's mouth so the 961 is super super thin it's super sharp and i love the 10 i like a little bit bigger hook with these small mouth i i you know with live scope you can really see how aggressive they can be mm-hmm. i don't think they're shying away from the hook so the interesting a little bit bigger and the light wire is a big deal for me Cool, cool. Well, it's it's a it's a neat style hook. Like I say, a, a little bit more. I think guys would think of that as the traditional wacky style hook, but you like it because it's got a bigger gap and, and it's just a bigger overall hook. Okay, I like that. Do you see uh, any problems with penetration when when you work when you work a hook with that kind of gap? Nope. I that's another thing. You know, you can get a little rotation. You know, you can try different things, and you get on something that works. Right. Get very scared. I'll tell you a real quick story, guys. It, um, really, really quick. If you've ever taken a fish, just just held a fish, and tried to hook that fish in the mouth, just in your hands, you just caught one, and just gently try to hook another, hook them again. You know, take right. out. It is amazing how strong their mouth is. <laughs> it would blow your mind to think how hard it is. So. 
you know, when you do that, you'll start to understand all the little things add up as far as hooks. Very cool. Well, I think it was last year, right before you went and won the Mississippi River event up there in Wisconsin, the last elite tournament of 2022, you called the office at Hayabusa. You said, man, I found a new hook that I'm really liking for drop shotting. And um, I'm going to show everybody what that one is. I'm going to show them what it is. There it is. That's the WRM 957. Now, it kind of looks like a traditional uh, round bend hook, but it, but it's really the 957 is the O'Shaughnessy style hook, kind of an old style hook. Tell the listeners why you like this style hook, the WRM 957, and what kind of advantages you think it's providing you. Okay, Doug, keep hold hold that yeah. up for just yeah. If you guys look at the point of the hook, how much elevated it is compared to the line tie. Okay, that's a huge gap right there. That is going to get you more penetration, easier penetration. This is a weedless approach, on, so it doesn't change the style of your bait with that separation between the hook point and the line tie. Gotcha. It is a deadly, deadly tool, man. I, I've switched to that. At, I actually switched to it at Lake Pickwick last year. Caught every fish I weighed in, uh, finished six on a drop shot with that hook. Carried over Mississippi River. Ton, ton of confidence in that setup. So I see, you know, so I'm going to rig it weedless. So when you tell, when, you, when you're talking to the, the listeners weedless, you're, you're rigging it like this, right? Yes, sir. And, and I think that you explained to me also before that the reason that this is so effective for you too is because the O'Shaughnessy style hook, different from a round bend, it has a, even though like you mentioned, the hook gap is still really strong, it's not as uh, ob obtrusive as, as a traditional round bend. So that O'Shaughnessy is giving you that gap, but yet at the same time, it's not too big of a gap because of the O'Shaughnessy design. Is that right? Correct. And it, this guys, this is a light wire hook. This is a light wire hook with NRV coating. The, the light wire once again, helps you penetrate. Okay. So it comes through your plastic real easy. And the, the thought process is it penetrates the fish's mouth real easy. So Very once cool. again, unbelievable hook since i switched that my confidence level has gone through the roof i'm batting a scary like 99 <laughs> percent on, on a drop shot and and that's, that's a big awesome. deal even if a fish catches you off guard we all have talked about this you're fishing a little bit of bow in your line because of the wind or current etc oh wait that's a bite well you're off guard you kind of you know over the top of your head the hook set if that fish comes in the boat, you know you got the right setup, and that's yeah. That's very cool. You talked earlier about the uh, straight shank setup, and uh, this this I rigged up on a FPP straight. This is on a two o. It's got a five inch worm right here. This is actually a rain's bubbling shaker, kind of a. I know you're a missile guy, and and missile makes a lot of really good baits. Obviously, finish second in the classic on a missile bait. That's awesome. But uh, anyway, we're, we're going to get into that in the, in the angler spotlight section. We're going to keep you around all episode. By the way, just so everybody knows, Brian's going to be telling it all. <laughs> but uh, this little guy right here, cool. You know what's what's neat about this, and I, and I think a lot of people don't think about is is just the different presentation it actually provides. It's not necessarily well. You need an open hook. <laughs> 
But really, it's almost a different presentation for the bait. Why do you think Brian Fish are going to react to, you know, different looks on baits? You know, what what do you think that that deal is? They get accustomed to seeing something the same way so much, you know, um, through pressure. Mm -hmm. You know, we try to scientific reason it, you know, okay, this is why they're on this particular forage now but the bottom line i think is pressure and okay. they get seeing something presented the same way and they get hooked in their face drug all <laughs> learn their lessons so anytime you can give just a little bit different look it's a big deal all right i'm, I'm gonna throw one more look at the crowd uh, at the at the listeners and man this it, you know people don't think about wacky rigging drop shots but but it's done a lot not talked about a whole lot but a wacky rigging a drop shot another technique man just going through a quick list here we just went through like five or six different ways to rig a drop shot brian you got any final remarks for those drop shot anglers out there looking to up their game what can they do to besides the wrm 957 you know little little sneaky but but what else can they do to to maybe get a few more bites, a few more fish in the boat from your perspective. Um, you know, remember, guys, this is a finesse application. Drop shotting and, and stuff, what we're talking about tonight, we're talking about finesse drop shotting, small mouth, large mouth, etc. You know, the lighter the sinker, the lighter the line you can get away with for, for, for your structure, the more natural your bait's going to be presented. And that's a big thing. I've seen weight sizes and line sizes contribute to a lot more bites. So the lightest you can get away with is a big deal. All right, great info right there from Brian. Man, that that is basically our drop shot rigging breakdown for styles. And um, I tell you what, um, some more hooks that, that you might want to consider as well. But Thanks, Brian, for being here to discuss this. We're going to return with our Angler Spotlight. And uh, that's keeping Brian right here with us on Bass Edge Radio. Y'all stay tuned. Uh, The first, number one, the first audio and video combo for Bass Edge. Y'all hang tight. We're going to be right back. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so choose the protection the pros pick. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. The MegaWare Keel Guard is made tough and made to stick. Install it yourself in less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Insist on the original Keel Guard the pros have picked for 25 years. MegaWare Keel Guard. All right, here we are. We're back, back in the studio. Got some uh, some fun stuff to talk about with my main man, Brian Schmidt. Brian just got off a second place Bassmaster Classic. How does that sound, dude? It does it hurt? Does it hurt? Does it? That's the first question. Is does it hurt? It, it really does incur. You've known me a long time. It's been a dream just to be fishing professionally, buddy, and, and to make is a hard thing to do. And, hey, just to have the opportunity to le- 
you know, leave day three with a chance to win the classic is, is a dream, man. And, uh, you know, I'm not upset at all. You know, hey, it was a strong event. A second place is a big deal. You know, for, for you to win an event like that, magic's got to happen. Everything's got to go right. So, you know, it just wasn't my week, but we're going to keep our head up high. And it's only going to make me hungrier. You know, right. it, it's going to fuel the fire and we can't wait to get another opportunity. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's, it's, it was fun to watch. Uh, again, you know, shout out to Gussie. We've seen everything about Gussie's pattern. And, um, and I really wanted to break down other successful patterns, you know, from the classic. And, and that's kind of what this is all about. You know, that's what this angler spotlight is, is going to be talking about. Brian's breakdown of a second place finish at the Bassmaster Classic and, um, you know, how he got this done. So let me let me let me start right here. Going into the event, um, obviously. I was able to talk to you a little bit before the event started. You were excited about your pattern, number one, and, you know, kind of unknown possibilities that you thought, you know, might exist with the pattern. And, and you wouldn't really know, obviously, until, until the tournament begins. I think a lot of times when we fish tournaments, that's the progression, you know, especially when you have a good event, right? Why, let me ask you that first. Why is that? that when you're always developing something and you're not really sure, those are the tournaments that seem to go really well. It, it's the unknown, man, you know, and you're, you're fishing the unknown. You're every, every turn, it, uh, you know, every new spot is like this fresh light. You know, you don't know, you're excited. And it just sometimes just falls into place like that. I don't know how to explain it, man. You know, it's something you've done a million times and you know what's going to happen around this corner and that corner. It usually doesn't turn into right. a run. So, yeah. Well, it, it was fun to watch, man. It was cool to see. Everybody thought that it was pretty much, uh, you know, over after two days i think a lot of most of the anglers did too you know i watched the live mix where they where they're interviewing the anglers and i think most anglers well, there were six or seven that came on probably before 10 or 11 o'clock or or you know 11 o'clock in the morning and they were all saying the same thing you know all he's got to do is catch five all he's got to do is catch five and then all of a sudden he had one and then all of a sudden you know benton starts catching a few and then and then Canterbury starts catching a few. And and your bite every day was a little bit later. And and nobody kind of really had you on the on their radar. But every day, I mean, you were in third place going into the last day. Every day your bite was strong as the day went on. So it was kind of neat how that went on. But let's first talk about how your practice unfolded and uh, how you began to tap into this offshore pattern that, that you had going on in the Classic. So... You know, I kind of flew under the radar as far as people, you know, picking me. They they think oh, he's a grass guy, you know, and that's his specialty. But this is a tr this is a true river, okay? This is the top of the Tennessee River. Mm -hmm. There 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 are two natural rivers hitting Fort Loudon, and it is more river than any other Tennessee River system, in my opinion. So. I was there one other event, 2021, left out of there, made the weekend, but barely did, but learned a ton. 
Okay. okay. A ton. Kind of excited, you know, kind of excited to get back. Knew it was going to be tough. Already bracing myself to be tough. Launched the boat first day of practice, Kurt. The water is extremely low and extremely clear. Mm. Okay. Um, and cold. I knew we weren't going to have a big spawn push because of the water being cold and low. And I felt very quickly in practice, just in the creek that I launched, it was so obvious what would be fished all practice long. Right. Very limited cover that had any water on it. Everything's dry. There's little ditches. And, and I just felt this lake being as tough as it is and how low it is, it was going to fish very small and everything was going to get fished. So luckily, early in practice, I um, just it was raining, nasty. I didn't feel like really running. I just started idling back into a flat and actually marked a couple things on my side scan. There were some hogs <laughs> or whatever. And uh, kept doing that for a little bit, marked a few more. Well, I went and fished a little bit, kind of on the bank. And then about an hour later, I started fishing some of that structure and got a couple bites real, really quick. So, so when you're marking it, you're not really seeing fish. You're just seeing pieces of cover out there. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I was just, you know, looking for that. The The Tennessee River is very, very uh, finicky about water level. And these fish know that they better not push up, you know, because they really don't let that lake get to full pool usually till the 1st of April. That's okay. when they really do that. And I think they've been burned too many times to fish by going up too early. They'll pull mm -hmm. it feet overnight or let it come up a foot it never is right until it gets the full pool so these fish know they're staging they mm -hmm. in my opinion all winter long they've kind of had a little area that they like to rest at you know there's current they got to be behind something if it's a river okay. ball whatever they got to get out of the current so it started to click really really quick um didn't see big fish you know the few fish that i caught doing this were not big they were a couple keepers and some small ones, but the bites were there. Okay. Okay. So the confidence was up and, and, and we did a lot of fishing. You know, we, we fished the bank, we fished docks. We tried a lot of stuff to get a bite here or there. Just felt like I needed something different that not everybody okay. else. Was Very cool. So, so you start idling some of these areas. Is that, and, and you, you started to get excited. You, you say you, you went and started fishing a couple of these spots. I mean, like, was it a bite on every cast? When you, when you found the spot, were you seeing them? Were you actually seeing bass once you started scoping it? Or, or how did that evolve? Yeah, so, you know, some pieces of structure were as deep as 8, 10 foot. And, yes, you could see what I would believe to be bass. You know, okay. a, a fish or two. Uh, hanging near this cover and um you know like i said to get a couple bites early doing it I, I was like okay it exists now okay spent a lot of time that first day doing that and and i had some bites on the bank don't get me wrong you know fish right. were, um the second day whole different sector of the lake i did the same thing i actually fished stuff that I already had marked Kurt, from previous year. 
Okay. Some of it was too shallow because the water was lower. Some of it was right and got bites doing it again. Now, mm. that showed me that, okay, this this exists pretty good. And, um, you know, the key, key deal was the presentation, bro. That, that was yeah, we're, we're going to get into that uh, in the second half of this, but really going to kind of keep breaking down the process. So how much time after you uh, realized, okay, I could find this offshore cover, essentially, and not that it was out there in the middle of the river channel. It was kind of, I guess, more on flats and stuff, obviously, you know, that would, that would you know, probably the only thing that makes sense offshore in a river, right? It's not like it's a big flat lake out there. So, so when you're finding these, how much time do you spend in practice just looking for more of this stuff? Or do you keep, you know, back and forth between the visible cover and, and the offshore stuff? Because if you don't, I mean, can you find enough spots or how does that, how does that translate? So I knew I wasn't going to be the only one doing this. There's okay. Excellent, excellent offshore guys in the field that made the classic, you know, and you, you know the names. Um, so I knew I needed a lot. I needed a lot. So, I mean, I hate this. There was probably three quarters of a day dedicated to it, um, a quarter of a day fishing. Okay. And, and really tried not to fish any of this cover, that this submerged cover. Right early day to a practice just knew it existed and why take a chance of maybe catching a fish that you're going to need you're going to fish it regardless in the tournament so spent a lot of time looking man the third day of practice i went to a whole different area i didn't do any graph and i just fished oh wow but okay the first two days of, of practice you know we're a lot of looking a lot so so if I, if I go out here on on my local body of water and and you know i want to duplicate brian's second place classic pre-spawn pattern right how i mean how much makes you happy as you're idling around looking i mean will you go an hour without seeing anything and all of a sudden boom 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 you see four or five or is it just i mean it's got to be a mental thing to spend the time just looking for that. Dude, you're fishing the biggest tournament in the world. You're not even, like, making a cast for eight hours of the day. That's that's kind of scary. Here's the deal. If, okay, I knew I wasn't going to pull up on any of these pieces of structure and catch a limit. Mm -hmm. going to be one keeper, Okay. one short fish, and that's it that in my mind okay so i needed a lot the reason i stuck with it was once the river started to make sense guys the flow of the river mm. and why there were flats where they were you I, it was it was weird how quickly i clicked where more of this debris would be all of a sudden you got this vision so got this vision why it's there and it's the way the current comes down this river okay old logs washed up so man i was not happy with two or three i needed 20 in an area right and now here's the biggest thing guys it couldn't just be in the middle of nowhere it needed to be near where a lot of fish could possibly spawn mm -hmm. your major tributaries your major flats 
it couldn't just be a no man's land on a straight windy river. It needed to be where they wanted to go. So once all these things started coming together, you know, to start the event, I might have had 75 things or a wow. lot of things that I felt <sighs> deserved to cast. That's incredible. That's that's a lot of spots. Now, how many how many bikes did you assume that you would get? Let's say, you know, what did you expect to hit? Maybe 40 or 50 real effectively in one day? That's a lot. I mean, if I could hit 25 okay. you know, effectively, and hey, if eight or 10 of them fire. Okay, so what happened was the first five or six or seven I stopped on day one, they did not produce. <laughs> right, right. We stayed with it, and then we really started, once we really started fishing, we learned the sectors. There was little sectors that were hotter than others, and uh, it all started to click. That's why you need a lot of ammunition, man, because this one area might not be good, and this area is. You're going to be mad as a hornet that you don't have a lot of ammunition in the hot areas. So yeah, it was a big deal to have a lot. That that really that last question really kind of opened some vision. I think probably not only for myself of what you were dealing with there and and how you place that pattern together, but also hopefully for a lot of the listeners as well. Because now you kind of can you know take that information and I can go out here to Lake Amistad or or uh, Rayburn or whatever. And if there's an area of the lake that's getting a lot of pressure, but I know some things are firing, that, that kind of gives me a, a new way or, you know, a recent way, because fundamentals are fundamentals. I don't care if it's basketball, football, baseball, bass fishing. Fundamentals are fundamentals. But it, you, if you don't go back and think about these things, you tend to just, boom. It's like out of thought, out of mind. Right. And uh, so this gives, you know, anglers that are getting ready because of your success, obviously, with this style of pattern, the ability to kind of go out there and look for some of these things. And this this is a great way for guys to go out there, be able to look for these things and have a good, successful day on the water or just learn their electronics a little bit better. Obviously, you're you're a Garmin guy. Right. So, so you're dialed, dialed on that stuff. Now, in the in the classic, you said that in the practice time, you might see a fish or two, you know, around some of this cover. Are you seeing a lot of fish in Derby Day, in the classic competition days that are on the structure? And how many did you see that were there that you couldn't catch or weren't sure if they were bass or not? There was several, uh, several fish that. I couldn't catch, gave them multiple presentations, and I believe they were large. Um, mm. So bass, you think they were bass? Definite bass. They would kind of act like they wanted to play and, and didn't. Um, I don't understand that. And then there was some, you know, Kurt, that, I mean, I'm talking about the they hit the water. They, they were going after it. Yeah. Um, don't understand the science behind it. <laughs> there, right. I, vision two right now that i wish i could have caught all right that's cool all right last question we're gonna we're gonna go to a quick break here in a second but before we go to a break i, I wanted to ask you one more question and that was on this uh you know forward facing sonar obviously you know a lot of guys use it deep everybody a lot of people that use it all the time know it's very effective shallow you're fishing relatively shallow eight you know six eight foot deep um you know, and you're, you're targeting this cover when, when you don't see the bass react or, 
you know, you, you come into that. How much time do you do you fiddle around with it? I mean, that you can suck. It's almost like sight fishing in a way, right? One hundred percent. You can eat up a lot of clock, you know, looking at fish that don't react. But here's the deal. I knew there was fish using this through the bites I got. And I'll be honest, if I felt like it was a good piece of structure, even if I didn't see a fish or if I did see a fish, I would let it sit. Count to 10, move it a little bit, count to 10. If they don't play ball after that, I'm kind of moving on, okay? okay? Especially late in the day when I felt like they were really biting, I didn't give it a lot of time. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, great information. All right, you guys, stay tuned. We're going to come back with Brian again, but we're going to take a short break here. Um, man, this has been a lot of great information, Brian. I appreciate you sharing it with us. But uh, we're going to get into lures, fishing techniques, and debates Brian used to finish second place in the 2023 Bassmaster Classic. Y'all stay tuned. All right, great to be back. Here we go, Brian. Uh, man, man, breaking it down here with Brian Schmidt. Bass Edge, brought to you in part by Bass Pro Shops, right here on the first video edition of Bass Edge Radio. So y'all make sure you log in and, and check us out there on that YouTube channel, and uh, you'll be able to see some of the stuff we were talking about there. We had a great little showcase segment with Brian here talking about drop shot hooks. So uh, you can you can definitely go back and take a look at that on the YouTube channel. But uh, Brian, we're going to talk about baits, techniques that you used. First half of the segment was how you found the fish. Second half of the segment, how you caught the fish. Um, I saw on your Instagram post, Brian does, everybody knows Brian does, Brian Schmidt Fishing, great on Instagram. You stopped by the Missile Baits headquarters on your way home. Fortunately, from Knoxville to Maryland, drove right by there, so it was an easy, easy exit for you there in that Roanoke area. But uh, saw you talking with John Cruz, obviously owner of Missile Baits, also an Elite Series angler. The mini magic worm. Talk to me about it, dude. What what's so special about this bait? The the profile. This is a really really small, compact profile bait. It, it it's it's just giving these fish the ultimate finesse in a shaky head approach. Okay, guys, these fish. You, we already know. We talked about it all day, all leading up to the classic. This is a tough fishery. I don't want to play around. Mm-hmm. I want to play i want to get a bite if the fish is there i don't care how i catch them you know shaky head was the deal but the missile baits mini magic worm it's a four inch version of the original magic worm that i already have a ton of confidence in and it's a bite getter buddy so mini magic worms a straight tail straight, straight tail worm and uh read in the presser and and watched you on the presser when I say presser for for you non media folks, the uh, the 
after the Bassmaster Classic, it, it's you know I think they should do this for every event, quite honestly. But after the Bassmaster Classic, of course, you get the winner, Jeff Gustafson, you know, talking about his line lures and and all those things, and then and uh, you know hearing kind of what the champion did to win the event. But they also bring in the rest of the top six, the anglers two through six. Of course, Brian finishing second place. He had an opportunity to uh, meet with the media, kind of really break down everything that happens uh, within this tournament. And you talked about utilizing the shaky head technique and also some a little bit with a drop shot with this mini magic worm. Why do you think the shaky head technique was so important? And talk to us a little bit about how you fish that technique. Okay, so we talked about live scope. The power of live scope, not only does it show you fish, but it can let you get really dialed into the fish's behavior when you're presenting them baits. You know, if you got a, a piece of structure a fish is holding on and you can present them numerous baits to see their activity, it's a big tool. And guys, this has helped me out in the past. So, of course, I want to throw a chatter bait or a swim jig or a big rattle trap or a spinner bait or a swim bait. I want to be this power fisherman. <laughs> right. I watched every, every one of those techniques. Mostly the fish would let it go by them. Mm-hmm. I threw a drop shot. I could get a few to react to it. Um, but when I threw the shaggy head, I don't know how to explain it. This particular week, they really liked that presentation. I don't understand. They wanted it on the bottom. They wanted a straight tail worm. You know, they just wanted that style, that presentation. And the live scope showed it to me. Uh, it was the deal. I mean, down, it was the deal. The interesting thing was you saw a lot of the other guys or anglers that were fishing extremely shallow, throwing those techniques you talked about, spinner baits, chatter baits, uh, you know, jig, um, those kinds of things. Um, I, I feel like when, when I go back and think about it, your style being just offshore and, and fishing the offshore cover, that vertical presentation was probably – the King Kong, because you could see it go down. You could keep it in your vision. Those guys uh, in those techniques were fishing more vertical stuff, or not not vertical, but but more horizontal, you know, laydowns and, and trees on the bank, visible cover that they could fish, or they were fishing big, expansive flats like uh, Lester. He, he, he caught a lot of fish on a lipless crankbait. One of the few guys that caught largemouth early in the day throughout the tournament throwing a lipless crankbait early in the morning um most of the largemouth guys weren't getting many bites until 10 30 or 11 o'clock and and uh, I, I found that to be really interesting to break down for us <clears throat> do you feel like if you had taken that finesse approach to the shallow visible color it would have been more effective maybe than some of those other ones and those guys could have finished well or or do you just feel like it was just the different styles that y'all had that lent to those techniques being different for everybody it, it was a combination of a bunch. So I just didn't want to be part of the rotation. I didn't same. Mm. I felt like it would be very hard to win the classic with the water down fish in the same habitat, all the same visual structure. Could, could, did I tell myself I would need a lucky bite throughout the event doing that? Yes. And I dabble with it, you know, for about 20 minutes a day. Right. Um, but to be honest with you, I wanted to have something to myself. And yeah. 
the profile. Okay, I didn't want to fool around. I keep saying the same thing. I wanted to present a bait that these fish would bite immediately. Mm -hmm. But down on time. I would worry about getting them to the boat after that. I just wanted to get the bite. Yes, I would like to throw a jig in there, but (laughs) I wanted to be... Uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? I wanted to to get it, get it done, get a bite, move on. Just you drop know? it right on them. Yeah, a little bit more finessey. Just you know, obviously your confidence in their reaction for that smaller profile bait was just a lot higher than than the other lures. I could take this same technique. I could go fish some docks that I would watch guys fish, you know, day in day out. I could go right behind them, and I was able to get bites doing this same technique on cover that was getting just abused by other anglers. So I knew it was definitely something with it. Um, you know, it almost came through. <laughs> it did. It did, man. It, almost. I mean, one bite away from, from, from being there, but, uh, man, you got there. That was the biggest key. So, all right, let's break down the, uh, the absence of the early morning bite. What was the deal with that? I mean, obviously, Gussie would go down and catch some smallies uh, the first couple of days fairly early, not necessarily, you know, right out of the gate, but then the whole field just, you know, except for Lester, like I said, throwing that lipless crankbait, got a few bites before 10 o'clock. But other than that, man, it sucked. <laughs> Couldn't figure it out. Um, in practice, I could get bit early. I just couldn't figure out what changed in the tournament. With the live scope, I knew they were still there. Mm-hmm. They they just did not want to play ball. And it became a point, Kurt, where I would actually ignore a lot of my really good stuff that I felt was really good till later in the day. I didn't even want to get down and out about it. You know, right. I knew there was something if it was more current, if it was more uh, water temperature rise, if it was you know, just a sunlight level. Yeah. But I couldn't get it going either. Now, real quick, late day two, I found a deal further up a creek that had a lot of natural current. Okay. Fish were biting. And the deal with the little bit more natural current, current positions them. So I was excited to go to that spot day three with the mm. thought I got a morning deal. These fish have no choice but to be the current, and I'm going to catch them. So, unfortunately, it got really dirty when I showed up day three. It was ruined, but that was. <laughs> all right, all right. I like it. Okay. The last thing you said in your press, or I think it was the last question they asked in the press conference, and, and that was one of the most important keys. Of course, both you and Gussie both said four facing solar was a big key, and, and some of the other guys talked about, you know, shallow water techniques and things. But, but one thing that no one else mentioned that you mentioned was water level. Water level, you thought, was the biggest key for Brian Schmidt. Tell the audience why it's so important, what your background experiences have told you why it's so important. Water level to me on the Tennessee River system is the biggest deal, guys. In in the early spring winter drawdown, okay, they they want to be shallow. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, the current, everything like that, they want to be shallow. They just, they don't fully commit. They stage a lot more um, on these systems because the fluctuation, they want to be somewhere where they have access to probably two or three foot deeper water than a normal fishery quickly. They, they, they know just as soon as the water you know, stabilized, they might pull two, three feet overnight, and they need to have access to that deeper water. So that was the biggest deal, understanding that these fish are scared about the water going up and down, and they stage accordingly, and also knowing how quickly the water coming up on mm. the river can change a deal, how... It can like they're, they're leaving your stuff. <laughs> it, it can trick a few fish to leave this deeper cover and move shallower. Move mm-hmm. So understanding that and understanding tides of how water goes up and down and how it makes fish move a certain way, I was comfortable. And water level is the biggest deal, in my opinion. Awesome. Yeah. I, li- I like the breakdown of that. I, you know... Growing up in a river system myself, we both originally from Potomac River area. You're still living up there. Me moved to Texas, but uh, water level played such a huge role in tidal fisheries. Obviously, I think that's where a majority of your background comes from with your experience and understand how that's going to move fish and how they're going to relate to cover, specifically at different times of year, moving from that winter pattern to pre-spawn, and then when they move pre-spawn to that spawn, and, and obviously you followed it to a T. I heard you say somewhere, I won the largemouth tournament, the Bassmaster Classic. <laughs> so, and you did, and you did, but, but on Unfortunately, Gussie took the smallmouth tournament, which outweighed the large heads. <laughs> so, all right, here we go. We got uh, we got a fun little segment right here. Obviously, always uh, brought to us by Nitro Boats. The listener question segment, Brian. We're gonna go right into this listener question segment. This question sent to us by Olin Jensen out of Texas. Olin's got this question for you. Not you specifically, but he sent this in, and and we're going to get you to answer it for him. He says, I fish mostly highland impoundments with rock structure and very little cover. Very little cover. What are some of the most effective ways I can use my side scan to locate productive fishing areas? Okay, buddy. That's a simple, simple answer I'm going to give to you. If it doesn't have a lot of structure as far as, you know, rock piles, uh, standing timber, uh, brush piles, etc. You just need to look for any kind of sharper contours anywhere on that lake that the contours change a little bit uh, steeper than in other areas. That's a form of structure for those fish, and they're going to relate to it. They don't have any other choice. Or you need to look for a lot of bait on your side scan. You know, if there's not a lot of cover, they're going to relate to something. And it could be bait. So if you see a lot of clouds of bait on your side, <laughs> and you probably want to fish it. All right. Great stuff. Well, Brian, thanks for answering that question for Olin. And uh, Olin, uh, just remember to uh, send in an email to support at BassEdge.com, letting us know you heard Brian answer your question to receive your gift from the show. Reminder to all the Bass Edge Nation listeners out there, and you can now obviously post your comments to our YouTube channel. You want to hear your question on the show, 
We'll have a, a uh, Angler Spotlight guest answer it in the future. We're going to send you a quick little gift, so do that through YouTube comments. You can also do that on our Instagram page, our Facebook page, or you can log into BassEdge.com on your laptop or desktop and simply click the Ask the Pros tab, and uh, we'll get your question answered here on the show and give you a sweet gift if you get it answered. So, All right. Man, Brian, it, it was uh, a fun episode. Thank you for participating in the first Bass Edge video episode. Um, I think we made it. Hey, it was my pleasure, Kurt. I, I'm glad you invited me, man. You know, I'm super excited to be part of it. I, I had a good time as well, buddy. Awesome, man. Well, it was a, like I said, it was great having you. Really loved the breakdown that you gave everybody, you know, as far as how you located those fish in the practice, you know, kind of the the instincts that kind of took over, and that vision that you had that kind of let you idle the correct areas to find those pieces of structure that ultimately had those pre-spawn fish. Then, of course, really detailing and diving into those techniques. Man, is there any final thoughts you can toss out to the listeners before we uh, end this portion of the interview? Guys, trust your gut and and always stay calm. Um, the Classic was a stressful event. Things didn't work out just the way I wanted. But for some reason, I just stay calm and I, it would just happen. So, you know, the best thing I can tell you is always stay calm. Trust yourself. Listen to your gut and things are going to work out. Great advice there, Brian. Well, obviously, Bass Edge Nation, it's uh, time to say goodbye to Brian, but thanks again for being on the show. Uh, Y'all stay tuned. Um, Brian's going to be going to fish, I think, Lake Murray in the next Elite Series event, so that's going to be a fun one to watch, right? Murray and Santee, back-to-back, baby. That, that's going to be hot. And then at the same time, um, the Bass Pro Tour is headed to Murray even again before the Elite Series. So that's an event that's coming up. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Elite Series anglers taking a close eye on that. See see kind of what some of those conditions are. But uh, uh, Blueback Lake's always crazy interesting. Y'all stay tuned for more right after this message. Bass Edge Radio will return. great episode that was a lot of fun enjoyed talking with brian really brian just detailing all those uh really great methods of fishing that we can use on our home bodies of water obviously big key here on bass edge education that's what we want to do uh and and more importantly for me 
made it through this first video edition of Bass Edge Radio. So can't remind everybody enough to be sure to go into the YouTube channel. Make sure you check it out at Bass Edge. Uh, leave your comments there. Let us know what you thought about the show. Let us know what you thought about Brian. If you got any more questions for Brian, we'll get those answered for you. So be sure to put those comments down there in the uh, in that section, and, and we'll get Brian to answer some of those questions if you have some follow-ups for him. And we'll answer them back to you right there on the YouTube channel. Um, man, there is uh, going to be a whole lot going on here in the next couple weeks. Events coming up. You got the uh, MLF Bass Pro Store Stage 3, April 2 through 7 out there on Lake Murray. So, uh, obviously, MLF's got a great live program. Be sure to tune into those. The uh, MLF Toyota Series. A lot of, a lot of buddies. Uh, shout out Rick Harris. He's going to be out there fishing the uh, – that event on Lake Dardanelle up there in Arkansas. Probably a good, uh, another pre-spawn event. Maybe some spawning going on. I don't know. It's starting to warm up here in South Texas, so we'll see. But um, after that, Bassmaster opens. That'll get started before our next episode here of Bass Edge, which will occur on April 15th. So uh, be sure to come back and check us out. But the Bassmaster open on Toledo Bend. I've heard Toledo is firing off, and they're probably going to catch some big bags. It's that time of year down there in East Texas. And uh, last but not least, uh, as the next show gets produced here with Bass Edge, the MLF Invitational is going to be out there in Oklahoma on Eufaula Lake, a new lake for for not, I mean not totally for MLF but but definitely from the pro circuit days and and now the Invitational is a brand new lake so uh, be sure to watch all those things going on we'll be talking about them learning from them learning from the pros that uh, have success out there on tour breaking down more ways that we can utilize their techniques to catch fish on our home bodies of water that's what bass edge is all about the education to get out there and catch more fish so we appreciate everybody tuning in bass edge podcast uh, again, got to mention it one more time, available on video through Bass such as YouTube and continuing on our audio podca- podcast platforms, anywhere you like to download podcasts, but specifically on Spotify, Podbean, iTunes. Don't forget, you can keep up with us on our website, BassEdge.com, and um, also Bass Edge is presented by MegaWare Keelguard, the developer of the industry's first do-it-yourself keel protector, providing boat owners with protection from grinding salt, abrasive rocks, concrete boat ramps, along with Nitro Performance Bass Boats, Mercury Marine, and Bass Pro Shops, and Power Pole. Gotta love those Power Poles. Thanks y'all for being here. Take care. See you later. We'll be back again April 15th. Bass Edge Radio. (laughs) Bye-bye.